Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It's May the 10th, 2023. The Orioles are now 23-13 and on the season after beating the Rays on Tuesday night by a 4-2 score, in the process snapping a three-game losing streak, which is good because although none of those three games were individually terrible, it was getting annoying that the Orioles had lost three in a row, really getting, as someone said on Camden Chat today, had enough of moral victories, time to get actual victories. Well, they got an actual victory, so yay. Adley Rutschman broke out of a lengthy offer with the first Utah Street home run of his career, which also happened to be the hardest hit ball of his career as tracked by StatCast at 111.1 miles per hour. Grayson Rodriguez had what manager Brandon Hyde said is the best start of his big league career so far, five and two-thirds innings, allowing two earned runs, the only run scored on a pair of solo home runs, which, you know, I'd rather Grayson Rodriguez did not give up two home runs, but... Holding it to solo is not bad, and considering how many home runs the Rays are hitting, it's it's kind of okay, I guess, to give up home runs to those guys. Um, so that was good to see from Grayson Rodriguez. First time he has gotten outs in the sixth inning in his career. Couldn't quite get through the full sixth inning to make it a quality start, but a nice... Um, positive momentum kind of outing and one against an unquestionably good offense, unlike some of Rodriguez's past ones here. So I think that's hopefully something that he can carry forward. Yannier Cano, another one and two thirds scoreless innings. That guy is just an unexpected treasure. And he was followed by Felix Bautista, who issued three walks while getting a four out save. Bautista, well, he just continues to be shaky, but for the most part, he has not broken in save situations, which is good. I hope he can stop walking so many guys, but I guess that's to be determined. I, um, it, it goes to show you, I guess, how much the Orioles wanted to win that game, that they went to Cano, who I didn't think they were going to use on Tuesday after he had thrown two innings on Sunday, but there he was back again for one and two-thirds, and then Cano straight to Bautista to cover a total of three innings. I mean, that goes to show you who... The Orioles are relying on in the back end of the bullpen. It would be nice if there was a third guy in that mix. I guess that's not really the case yet. We'll see if that can develop over time. The Orioles turned four double plays in the game, which was very helpful. They are now five and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays, although they still have the second best record in the American League. Coming up tonight, we're going to see Dean Kramer pitch. I hope he pitches well, not only because I'm going to be in the stadium, but, you know, partly because I am going to be in the stadium. Always more fun to see a win than to go there and see something miserable. Kramer was pretty good against the Braves last time, so I guess we'll see if he can carry that forward against the Rays on Wednesday night. It would sure be great if the Orioles could manage to take two out of three in their first meeting with the Rays this season. I will not be holding my breath, but on the last podcast... I said that, uh, excuse me, two episodes ago, I said that I hope the Orioles can go 9-13 and over the stretch of 22 games against winning teams that they're now in the middle of. They are 2-3 and through the first five games of that, so they need to um, go 7-10 and the rest of the way 
for to meet my target, which again, I feel like is something where you can feel like the things that are currently rickety about the Orioles are not falling apart. That's that's why I set the goal at nine and thirteen. I think if they can at least hit that, they're at least holding it together, and it can we can hope that uh, they're not s- suffering fatal flaws from which they won't be able to recover. One development from Tuesday for the Orioles: Ramon Arias went to the injured list with a hamstring strain that he suffered while running out a hit in the uh, late in Monday's game. Orioles general manager Mike Elias spoke to Orioles reporters before Tuesday's game. He said that Arias is going to miss, quote, a good bit of time, didn't have an exact time frame. Obviously, it was enough that it's going to be at least 10 days and probably a bit beyond that for Elias to say it's going to be a good bit of time. I thought maybe an injury to Arias would maybe open up the possibility of the Orioles calling up prospect Jordan Westberg from AAA Norfolk. Westberg hit his ninth home run of the season for Norfolk on Tuesday night. However, the Orioles did not choose to call him up, obviously, since he was in Norfolk hitting a home run instead of in Baltimore. They chose instead to call up the left-handed guys who've already been around on the bench a bit, Ryan O'Hearn, as well as Taryn Vavra. And it seems like, okay, maybe that's going to be another case of, as Elias said, with the opponents they've got coming up, it looks like it's going to be uh, at least four straight, well, five straight counting Tuesday night right-handed starting pitchers. So the Orioles have chosen to stock up with their lefty bats rather than have the right-handed Westberg come up. I think maybe some of it is that the Orioles want to give Gunnar Henderson an uninterrupted look at third base, which manager Brandon Hyde told reporters that that's where he's primarily going to be playing as long as Arias is on the injured list, which I'm okay with that. Henderson, although he is in a bit of a slump in terms of his batting average to start the season, I think it won't harm him any to have him consistently play one position and just work from there. As far as Jordan Westberg, Mike Elias said about him, and I'm taking these quotes from the article written, uh, article and tweets written by the Baltimore Banner's Andy Kostka, although they were given to many Orioles reporters. And Elias said on Westberg, quote, He's been a great performer in AAA, an active topic of conversation dating back even into last year. We're still monitoring and discussing and paying close attention to him on a nightly basis. End quote. So... I mean, there you go. The The front office knows who he is. I don't don't know how much they're sitting there every day saying, gee, should we call him up today? Should we not call him up today? I, I feel like that's probably not literally what's going on. But, you know, he's, he's doing pretty well at Norfolk so far. And I don't know when we're going to see him, but uh, I guess it's going to take more than just an injury to Ramon Arias to make that happen. And, you know, I guess it might take a trade or somebody else getting hurt, neither of which I really want to see happen at this point. But the Orioles, since they did designate for assignment the non-used third catcher, Luis Torrens, who they had acquired for cash considerations several days ago, did not appear in a game before being designated for assignment. Not really worth spending too much time on him. So, But there's an open 40-man spot. It could have gone to Westburg. There's people, including one of my Camden chat writers, stumping for it to go to Colton Kowser. Uh Elias kind of threw some cold water on that, noting that 
Hauser has, quote, hasn't spent that much time in AAA, end quote, and that means he's probably not in line to show up as soon as some of the other players. It's now been 58 games for Kowser at AAA. He's got pretty good results there. Of course, that's just scouting the box scores. Uh, it's not digging deep into splits or any of the kind of um, stat cast stuff that's now available for AAA hitters. The Orioles, I'm sure, have way more robust data than fans could possibly have. I don't know what more they're looking for from Kowser. It might be maybe smooth out his platoon split as he's a lefty and... He has had some struggles against lefties in the minors, but it's also a crowded outfield picture for the Orioles right now. And, you know, with Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander, none of whom exactly looks like they should be completely banished from the lineup. Um, where do you fit Kowser in? You know, he's the former first round pick. You don't want to just call him up and have him sit on the bench or whatever. So, I guess that's part of it too. And there's another one where I feel like it's going to take an injury or a trade. And those things are, well, a trade is probably not going to happen in May. And, you know, an injury could happen anytime. I I don't want anyone to get hurt. So there we go. So one more thing from Mike Elias before I move on. He did address the idea of contract extensions for the Orioles' young players. As you know, if you've been listening to this show, that is something I myself have been harping on. And asked about that, Elias said that the Orioles' front office, quote, they're all working on ways to keep our organization healthy all the time. That absolutely includes looking at augmenting the contracts of the young players that we have. End quote. So... That's a very typical Mike Elias kind of quote because it does acknowledge that he heard the question. It is a coherent response to the question. It gives away absolutely nothing. And indeed, he dodged away from giving any specifics, just telling the reporters he's not going to get into it right now. So no, absolutely no commitment that they're going to do it. And, you know, no inclination of who uh, is maybe they're looking at to do it. If it happens, I guess it happens. If it doesn't, people are going to continue to be grumpy about the Orioles' lack of long-term payroll commitments. What can you do? If you'd like to email me, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com with questions or discussion topics for the podcast. I read an email for every episode where I have gotten one. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so moving on to the prospect of the episode, and again, this is from my composite top 20 Orioles prospect list that's posted on CamdenChat.com. If you want to spoil yourself, who is still to come? I took five publications prospect lists, averaged them all together. That's the composite. Today, we're talking about number 14, catching prospect Samuel Basayo, who was as high as number 12 on one of those lists, as low as number 16, so came out in the middle right at number four, uh, number six, number 14. Basayo, I really am interested in this guy because he's the first of the Orioles international amateur signings who were coming across on this list. He was one of the first two players who was given a seven-figure signing bonus by the Orioles out of the uh, out of Latin America, what became the January 15 class. They used to call it July 2nd, but the COVID pandemic delayed the 2020 class to January 15th of 2021, and that's become the new normal. It's now 
J15, January 15th. That's when teams announce all the agreements that they have um, kind of not so secretly made over the previous, over multiple years, really, because some of these players are committing even at the age of like 14, which is kind of crazy. Um, as it turned out, from what I have read, and I, I'm, I don't have the exact source in front of me, but I believe Basayo only became eligible to sign in that 2021 class because of the pandemic pushing the signing date back by six months, which allowed him to turn 16 and become eligible to sign. So the Orioles, since they had not committed to a lot of players, were able to swoop in and sign Basayo to a, uh, a million-plus-dollar contract, which at the time was uh, one of the first two that the Orioles had ever given out to one of those players. Now, so he was 16 when they signed him. And just think about yourself when you were at age 16, right? You were stupid, which I know because when I was 16, I was stupid. You did not know anything about anything. And just the idea of like, maybe maybe you knew what you wanted to be when you quote unquote grew up. Maybe you've actually gone on to do that thing. But, you know, just just, just think of how much your life has changed even in the, you know, even in the five years after you were 16. And those that's who's getting signed off of the, uh, you know, out of the Dominican Republic, out of Venezuela, out of Caribbean, other Caribbean islands. And it's, it's just kind of crazy to think about. And as Orioles fans, we have absolutely no frame of reference for how these kinds of players develop because the Orioles were not signing them under... Dan Duquette or under, you know, Andy McPhail before him, it was supposedly kind of a directive from um, the, the, the then managing owner, Peter Angelos, who still technically owns all the, the team. But of course, he's uh, he has had to step aside due to declining um, mental faculties due to dementia. So now we're stuck with John Angelos and. So it, it does seem like at least John Angelos, I guess, is uh, approves of signing the international players because at any given time, basically like one third of the top 100 prospects in Major League Baseball have come from the international amateur signing. So by not signing those guys for so long, the Orioles were just shut out of getting one third of the possible top prospects. Some of them that get million-dollar bonuses turn out to be good. Some of them that get much smaller bonuses turn out to be good. But by not signing them in either quality or quantity, the Orioles were just missing out. And so, like, we just don't know, like, okay, how does it go with these guys, right? Well, okay, so the most advanced, if you get really, really lucky, you might get, like, a Juan Soto, who actually debuted at 19, or Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., each of whom debuted in their age 20 seasons. That's if you're, like, really freaking lucky. The Orioles are not going to be that lucky with Samuel Basaya, which is okay. No one could really ever expect that of a player. Uh, at the moment, he is going one level per year, which is not bad. At age 16, he was at the Dominican Summer League. He did well enough there, which not every prospect does. Hernanda, or excuse me, Basayo's fellow um, signee from the class he signed, another million-dollar player, Michael Hernandez, also made his way from the Dominican to the Florida Complex League one year later. 
Hernandez, however, scuffled a whole lot at the Florida Complex League, unlike Pasayo, who did well enough to convince the Orioles to assign him to Low A Delmarva, a full season affiliate, as he is only 18 years old, will only be turning 19 in August. So that's pretty good for one of these guys. He's already advanced enough that he's at a full season affiliate. Got a long way to go to get to the big league level, of course. On the Fangraphs prospect ranking, Basayo was the number 14 prospect, and they noted that although he's listed at 180 pounds, quote, he's probably closer to 250. And they also said he's got so much power, an incredible amount for an 18-year-old catching prospect, which he enables him to generate extra base power with just a flick of the wrist, and his max effort swings are the stuff of Paul Bunyan. End quote. So that all sounds pretty exciting, right? The Orioles, I mean, they just haven't had a guy like this that they signed him. You know, he was a million plus dollar signing. He's got immediately notable things about him, namely that even at a very young age, he was hitting the ball very hard with wood bats. And okay, so he's a catcher. That probably means he's going to be slower to develop unless they move him to have him be like a first baseman, in which case he'd probably need to hit more than he would as a catcher to be a useful um, prospect. So there's a whole lot being juggled there in whether or not he's going to be a good player for the Orioles eventually. As Fangraphs also notes, Basayo is, quote, a high-risk, high-ceiling prospect with 30 homer potential if he hits upper-level pitching, end quote. He's a long way from upper-level pitching even when he's playing for the Delmarva Shorebirds. But for now, all he can do is hit against the pitchers that the team is having him face through 22 games in his first full-season affiliate action. He is batting 308 with a 344 on-base percentage, 505 slugging percentage. So for an 18-year-old to be doing that at his first taste of full-season ball, that's pretty good. You know, not as good as number one overall pick Jackson Holiday was, but that's pretty darn good. And so it's it's nice. I mean, you know, there's there's a long way from 22 good games for the Delmarva Shorebirds to being on the Orioles, but it's it's fun to see that the Orioles finally got into that market. Their first real big signing uh, has immediately developed into a guy who's worth following. And I've I've really been interested in him going back to last year when he was putting up good numbers in the first taste of even a short season league in America, the Florida Complex League. And it's fun. I hope that uh I hope he can keep it up, you know, what what he's gonna be in the future. It's it's a big shrug, a shrug emoji, you know, just the fact that he's a catcher is a big variable. The fact that He's currently striking out maybe a little bit more than you would like. The Fangraphs report did note there are some swing and miss concerns in there. Um, I guess what we could hope for for a player like him is that he's able to move up and, and do well enough this year that they have him at high A next year, double A the year after that, triple A the year after that, which, I mean, that's ticking off a lot of years. We're talking about, okay, maybe he would debut in 2027, which feels like forever away. But at that time, that would still only be his age 22 season. So that's that's still a pretty young debut. Um, you know, it doesn't make him a Soto-level savant, but that would be pretty darn good if 
that's the way he can march up the ranks, just kind of one level at a time, working on his defense, continuing to show good hitting. Or, you know, if he gets kicked over to first base, then he's got to spend a little bit of time learning first base, whatever. Um, That's about what we can hope for, I think. And I'm really going to be interested to see how he does. And I hope he can keep doing as well as he's done in, you know, every level they've put him at so far, he's hit. And I think that's great. I think that the more prospects the Orioles have where you're just looking at, okay, you know, their results are good and we just got to hope all the underlying stuff is good. The more of those guys there are, the better. And Samuel Basayo right now, I, I think he's, um, obviously if you've been following the international signings, you know, okay, they, they signed him. That was a million dollar guy. That was good. But, you know, we fans have not had a chance to really see him. And now, you know, he's playing his home games on the Eastern Shore. Maybe soon he will be uh, up in uh, up in Northeast Maryland and, and beyond. And I am excited to get to see when that development happens. That's all I've got for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on your favorite platform and leaving a rating or a review or tell a friend or family member. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will be back with you on Friday, May the 12th. Until then, you can leave a comment on Camden Chat or tweet at me at Camden Chat on Twitter if you want to get a hold of me. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's!